0: Hey, you're listening to Keeping It Real Podcast, I'm your host KP, with nearly two decades of personal training experience, I specialise in all things female health and wellness, from nutrition to mental health to fitness, and I'm going to be talking to all kinds of cool guests, bringing you some real advice that can help you live your best life. So, let's get on with the show, thanks for listening. Okay, so I've got Jill on tonight. I'm dead excited because this is something I've wanted to talk about for a long time because I would say, Jill, that we're in sort of the same
1: line of work but different. Mm-hmm, definitely. I think health and well-being is all connected yes. um, and it's the same types of conversations that we're all having, so it's, it's really good to, to be on your podcast.
0: So do you want to tell people what it is you do a wee bit about your story and stuff like that? Because I've yeah. already
1: researched you, yeah, You've been Googling. Mm -hmm. Um, My name's Jill. I own a company called Cosmedicare, um, which is Scotland's only female-owned and operated cosmetic surgery group. Um, We are most commonly known for Cosmedicare, which has been running since 2016, um, but also in hospitals. So our hospital brand is um, St. Ellen's Hospital, and that's out in Livingston. It's it's an overnight hospital in Livingston, and our new one opens in Suckey Hall Street, uh, probably tail end, of, tail end of February, another hospital opening there. Wow. Um, and that does all your women's health, men's health, um, hair transplants. Uh, we work with GCRM, the fertility company. We do a sperm retrieval for them. And, and uh, in our Edinburgh branch, uh, we do all their scans for people that are going through IVF treatment. Um, we do orthopedic surgery, general surgery, um, and lots of different bits and bobs. Well, how did you get into all this then, Jill? How did you? Yeah. So it's what, a, what it's a long, problem? long story, but everything in life, it's all connected. Um, When I was 15 turning 16, I had my first business, um, which was in tanning salons way, way back in 1998, when they weren't 10 a penny. There wasn't a lot of them about. Um, and we grew from there into more health and well-being, um, into the Botox and the fillers and the Casey machines and all the other things that were kind of prevalent mm-hmm. during that that growth period when the beauty industry was spiring was more into the medical side. Uh, when we sold that business, I ended up in Berlin of all places and was involved in the, the health and medical sector um, and the prisons. And then staying with the public sector, I went to Sandiford, which is sexual, reproductive and emotional health, which is where I learned quite a lot of my background for women's health and trans health and things like that. Uh, then I, in between that, I'd done a degree at university Then went off often did an MBA at Stirling. And when I was finished that, I was approached to go and run a private hospital through in Edinburgh. Uh, so I went there um, and I really enjoyed it, but I saw lots of opportunities and I wanted to do things differently, which is how Cosmedicare was born. We very quickly took over their operating theatres and they didn't like it. So mm-hmm. they thought that if they served as notice to not be in their operating theatres anymore, they would get all the patients. But what ended up happening was I ended up building my own theatre and taking half their surgeons. They followed so, you. <laughs> so that that ended us with Edinburgh Park, which was my first facility. And again, we outgrew that very, very quickly and uh, started building Cosmedicare St. Ellen's uh, right at the start of the COVID pandemic. So that opened oh, uh, so last October there. That was at a year open.
0: What do you enjoy the most? Because this is a massive industry, man. This is like booming now isn't it and I, have me, to say, I mean I, I, I agree with some things but some things it doesn't sit that well with me so do you know what I mean
1: there's this kind of like thin there's a line thin it's thin the ethical answer. line and you know everybody's got an opinion on it and I remember um, something really sticks for me when it comes to, to medical ethics I remember when I went for my job at Sandiford at the time and During the interview process, they asked my opinion on certain things like termination of pregnancy, like um, people not diagnosing certain transmittable diseases and things to their partners, um, people who have maybe been raped and don't want to report it to the police. And they basically said, your opinion really doesn't matter because this is such a personal thing to the people that are involved in it. And your job is to be here to support them, regardless of what their choices are and that really stuck with me and in medical ethics that is important it's the patient that needs to come first and as long as you are doing the right thing for that patient and they are they're informed of their options then that's the thing that, that really sticks with me and it sticks with our surgeons as well we try and discourage quite a lot of people from having surgery yeah. which might sound strange um But the last thing anybody wants is a patient to go through a procedure and not be happy with it or maybe not be the right time in their life for them to be having that procedure. Um, We deal with a a lot of younger people um, in the 18 to 24 Mm -hmm. age group. And we we do really speak to them about the long-term implications of having procedures, um, especially if it's in-trend procedures like a breast enlargement. Yes. We don't really like doing breast enlargements on 18-year-olds, we prefer them to be a wee bit older, have a bit more life experience, Um, and most of the time our patients are in the 25 and over category. Um, They've got a bit more life experience, most are working class, um, they are in relationships or they've got family um, support for their decisions. it's, it's a well-thought-out decision that I'm making. So I feel like, I like that,
0: what you've said. I like everything you've said there because I find it the same thing when I'm training people, do you know what I mean? And it seems to be everybody's trying to change their body shape, but then when they change their body shape, I'll say to them, are you happy now? You're the size that you wanted to be, and they're not. So I'm like that. Over the years, I've came to realise that it's sort of like just internally loving yourself and then you like the outer self like, of you. So when it comes to people like flying away to Turkey or doing anything crazy and getting these, it's a big surgery. I just don't feel like they really take into consideration all that, basically what you've said, like you kind of discourage it and you're saying, you know, you're still at this age. But we've, got a,
1: we've got a saying on our place, happiness is an inside no, an inside job, not a good huh. job or a nose job. <laughs> uh-huh. so, Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so because I, I, is, I, is, you can if, if you haven't done the work on yourself before you have work done, you're not going to get the outcome that you want.
0: Do you get a better. lot of that? Do you get um, that? Do you get people that are like, right, Jill, see When I get these big, I'm going to feel just. And then does it ever come back? That so they
1: out of all the procedures that that we do, breast enlargements is probably the least. We do a lot more uplifts. Just, we do uplifts and implants. We do a lot more breast reductions than we do breast yeah, enlargements. Do mm-hmm. um, a lot of the. patients that come along they don't want big massive boobs they just want to be in proportion they want to feel they want to feel on the inside they want the outside to match how they feel on the inside and i think that one's concurrent through all of our patient pathways Um, i think
0: it's different because you're a woman and you kind of understand this what everything you're saying because i'm going to say something jill right my um, partner she went down south got the boobs done a terrible point in her life right just wasn't mentally good for it now she went in for a b cup or whatever she's got double d's they're massive they're huge wow. right and it was a guy that did it and it's I, i've kind of came across this a couple of times where the birds went in for a size two sizes small, and she comes out massive do you know what i mean and i'm just wondering if you think there's a difference between like because obviously you as a female founded and all that I think
1: there's I think there's two elements to that. I think it's the ethos of the business and really listening to what the patient wants, Mm -hmm. and also the surgeon's ego. So there's no denying that the surgeon cohort is a male-dominated industry. Uh We are very very fortunate in the surgeons that we have. That not only are the excellent surgeons, but they're really good men as well. None of them have god complexes. They they discourage people from going for big, big boobs because of the the long-term implications of that. So they really counsel people on what their options are. Uh, Communication is a key point for us during the consultation process, and that's why we use the 3D before and after scans, because it gives people a visual on their body. Instead of coming in with pictures of somebody in a magazine or somebody they've seen on Instagram, we're able to show them on their body what size that's going to look like. And I think that's when it really hits home to the the patient when they're deciding on size, mm-hmm. how they're how they're going to look and how clothes choices are going to be affected and people's possible perceptions based on their appearance. It, it does play a it does play a factor in it.
0: And I think it's good that you do show that on the three D because actually when you get something down to your body when you change anything there's this kind of readjustment where you're like ah, that's not me is that me is that...? I get yeah, that you... it your head has to catch up with it. Uh, that lose a lot of weight do you know what I mean and they're like well they just kind of get used to looking at themselves like that you can get it for as simple as like changing your hair color do you know what exactly. I mean exactly so it takes you a while so it's good to use even show that but yeah. just like what i was saying you can go you can phone somebody up off the telly go down there's not much kind of like co- what you guys do that consultation process you know assessing are they all right and you can just go under the knife do you know what I mean I just
1: yeah it is quite frightening. And you touched on the, the Turkey um, phenomenon as well. And, you know, there's so much that's that's now coming out in the media that isn't quite mainstream yet. Um, there was an article eventually, finally published um, in between Christmas and New Year. And I just really feel as if I got lost in the masses of other stuff that was going on at the time. But it's finally come out that uh, the British Association of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgeons have reported 22 Brits dead um, since January 2019 following surgery in Turkey alone. So, yeah. so that's only the ones that have been reported to BAPRAS and BAPRAS only look after plastic surgery. So that's not counting the ones that have died following weight loss surgery. Um, right now I can tell you of at least four cases in Glasgow and Edinburgh where people are on life support following sepsis yeah. from Turkey. Yes, um, and
0: you do having have to probably fix a lot of like kind of botched stuff.
1: Well, yes and no. Um, historically, people would go to the NHS, but the NHS are really stretched to the max right now. So they'll deal with a life-threatening um, issue like sepsis. like These women that are, that are experiencing that just now, they will deal with that. But the NHS will deal with reconstructive, reconstructive surgery, um, following surgery abroad. Um, and unfortunately, as the volumes of patients going abroad has increased, the severity of the disfigurement has also increased, and... We're now getting to a point where a lot of these things can't be fixed. We, we can't fix them with the best will in the world, even if money wasn't an object and you could go through multiple rounds of surgery. It physically cannot be fixed.
0: It's crazy, isn't it? This new kind of going to Turkey and then coming back. I mean, I know a couple of people that have done it. They've come back five days later after massive surgery. I'm talking like boobs done, the bum done and lipo and the tummy tuck. And then sent home in a plane five days later. We like Simply,
1: You wouldn't get that here in the UK. No. Um, I, I went away. I went away to Turkey not that long ago to to go to a conference, and I started talking to some people that had done medical tourism. They were there actually, haven't had the surgery, and they were telling me stories of being anaesthetised in the lift on the way to theatre and getting into theatre and there being another patient in the theatre, and they didn't they didn't realise that, that that wasn't normal, and it really baffled me because I yeah. thought. If you're being wheeled into an operating theatre and there's another patient on the table and it's like oh, a conveyor belt, like that person's come like <laughs> off. No. Well, nah. I But you would be surprised at the amount of people that think it's too late for me to say, stop, mm-hmm. I need to get out here. No, it's, that's... Um,
0: that's really concerning, isn't it? Surely, like, enough's going to come out that's going to, like, stop people from doing that because it's just crazy, isn't it? People think they're going to um, go for cocktails, get a wee tummy tuck, mm-hmm. and it's
1: going to be a bit of a holiday. Like that. No, it's serious surgery,
0: man.
1: I mean, I had... Um, the first the first surgery that I had, I had a gastric band in 2012. Okay. And this was before I had Medicare, And I went to um, a place down in England, they were well-known, it was the hospital group. Um, so I went down to Birmingham, which is where their hospital was based, on my own, took myself down, um, had the surgery. The surgery itself was fine, but the very next morning, they put me out at seven o'clock, put me in a car and took me at the train station. Well, so that easy. train journey back up to Glasgow Central was horrific. I was crying, I was in pain. Yeah. I was basically left to my own devices to sort myself out for that's the two weeks afterwards. It's and
0: shocking, but not uncommon, by not the way. Not
1: uncommon, no. I can only imagine from some of those women that I've seen in Turkey, there's no way if I was in their shoes, again, I've had a tummy tuck myself as well. There's no way I could have got on a plane four or five days after having that tummy tuck.
0: No, And amazing. also having more than like two big operations at the one time, if you know what I mean? Like just, yeah. it's not not it's, advisable, no.
1: It's a lot on your system and the, the emotional um, recovery, the psychological recovery that you need to go through. And that's when the surgery goes well you're an absolute emotional wreck. I'm not trying to put anybody off or anything, but I think people need to be aware that an anesthesia suppresses your nervous system and you're, you're a bit of a wreck afterwards. I tell people, don't, don't say you're getting divorced or don't say you're leaving anybody yeah. or making any big life decisions.
0: <laughs> yeah, just relax. After surgery. Right. <laughs> try and relax. But, so see how you were saying about your gastric band. What was that journey like
1: then for you? What led you to... Did you try everything yeah. What was happening? So tell me about it. I'll be honest. Um... I was just I was just under 16 stone. Um, my diet was terrible. I was constantly working, I was eating on the go. I never felt full. So people ask often, like, what do you eat now? And I compare it to what I ate before. Like I could go to McDonald's and get a large quarter pound of meal with cheese and um an extra fries and an ice cream. And literally two hours later, it would be as if I hadn't eaten anything. Because it's short. And for the band, I could just about manage a happy meal and I wouldn't want to eat anything else for the rest of the day. Now, one of the things with the band that people don't tell you about is that it can be adjusted, so you you get a fill and it tightens it and it suppresses your appetite more and you lose more weight, but if at any point you need it loosened, you can get it loosened, and then your appetite returns and you eat more. So it really is about affecting a behavioural change, and I don't have the best willpower in the world, so the, the band's a tool for me. <laughs> No, I mean, nobody
0: does. It's like a pure change in like, what you're saying. It's habits. It's a long process. But I understand because people get fed up. People come to me and they're like, how long is this going to take? And I'm like, give yourself a year. And they're like, no. And then I do think that's when they come, like they go "Fuck this. I'm going to try something else that's got quicker results. But do the you thing is, I think,
1: think need to, patients need to realise, and we say this to our bariatric patients as well, it is a full lifestyle change. Hmm. So even if you do get bariatric surgery, Yes, it will help you lose weight. It doesn't help you get fitter. It doesn't help you get stronger. It doesn't help you have more energy and be, ah, be more engaged in your lifestyle decision-making choices. And But what it does do, and I, I would say this for the majority of patients, when they lose weight, when they start losing weight, they have more of an interest in being healthier. And it's the kickstart to go and start the gym because they feel a bit more comfortable in that environment as well.
0: Yes, how I describe it is when I get a new client and you're kind of at the bottom of the hill and I'm having to shove them, shove mm-hmm. them up there and then see when they get to a point where they're like, actually, do you know what? I felt good waking up this morning. This is a wee bit looser. Then I can huh. see I've bought them. But it Maybe. takes a wee while to get to that point. And like you huh. say, some people, they'll fall at the first couple of hurdles and then they just can't do it. They just can't re-motivate themselves to do that. So going for something like that means that they can get past those couple of hurdles and then continue on with their health journey. But as long as they understand that that's what it is after it, do you know what I mean? They're not going like, Well, I can eat a bit of a Kit Kat now. And do you know what I mean? Like, no, stop.
1: It's, and, you know, I think you start investing more in yourself as well when you, when you do something like that. I remember before I got the band, I was trying to... I had a personal trainer and things, but I was, I was just absolutely mortified in the gym. I would go in and I was really self-conscious. I felt as if everybody was looking at me. I wasn't fit. I was out of breath even just doing... Things and the guy's like, right, okay, another 10, and I'm gonna, you actually kidding me on. <laughs> uh-huh. 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 <laughs> but but then when I when I did start losing the weight, and again, I'll be honest, I'd lost probably I didn't start even being interested in going to do things healthier until I was about the 10 stone mark. Okay. Um so yeah. I lost quite a substantial amount of weight before I even started thinking about doing more exercise and things. And even to this day, my exercise regime is terrible. I, I join gyms and I, and I don't go um but I'm aware that it is something that I have to do because it's it. they're, they're telling us the, the ill health effects that are that people are having and exercise does help and I, I think yeah. it also relates to what age you are as well
0: I do agree with that but it is movement see sometimes when I get a client though Jill and I'm like ah, they are fucking hating this every minute of that I don't <laughs> keep taking their money do you know what I mean I'm like ah, we need to find something that you like that's going, going to enjoy it and it's going to keep right. you healthy do you know what I mean like there's no point in dragging somebody and they really really dislike doing it do you not like a gym environment are you just like I don't like I this I the cafe in the gym
1: <laughs> I like the cafe in the gym when I can sit with my laptop and have a wee coffee and stuff um and in my head I, I want to go, and I, I want to go on the treadmill and do all that sort of stuff. But for me, timing's a big thing as well. So for operations, we, we admit our first patient usually at 7 in the morning. So from 7 in the morning, my phone's going, this person's checked in, that person's checked in. So the minute that I'm disconnected from the team, my head won't rest. Like, I'm totally really? distracted all over the place. So you can't pour from an empty cup that's exactly what I'm going to I say to you
0: man, like especially birds in business because I do some talks and it's people like you that are all sitting listening and we're talking about burnout basically and yes. this is what you're that's what you'll head a for
1: that 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 is a thing I mean I've been doing pretty much full on since 2016 and before that as well because when probably when, since you were 15 working in the sunbeds <laughs> <I was> probably, <laughs> probably <laughs> it constant if I'm see if I'm not working, my head just doesn't know what to do with itself. But yeah. I, I've got Asperger's as well, so that's part of the. Yeah, I, issue. I need to keep myself occupied. So I myself into trouble. Obsessive kind
0: of nature uh, type of thing. When did you get diagnosed with that? As like an adult or a
1: child? Like oh, as a child. Um. So I, I said I grew up in Denison, and uh, the first primary school that I went to, I was asked to leave. The start of primary one, so it didn't last very long, um, and then the second school that I went to, I was there until primary four, and they were like, mm, "There's something not quite right." So when they did national testing, um, so I ended up with a a bursary to a private school, an all girls private school, and it was then they knew they were like, "No, there's something not quite right here because you read too fast and you retain strange information," but. Wow. It, if it's something that I'm not interested in, I'm not going to retain it. It just gets yeah. packed in the back of my my mind. Um, But if it's something that I'm passionate about or something that I'm interested in, I need to know everything about it.
0: So well, that's where it's went, the gyms went wrong for you, basically.
1: It's <laughs> just like,
0: uh, I'm fucking <laughs> interested on this. So that's what's happened, isn't it? But you've obviously used that to like a special power you've got and you've done all this stuff because, I mean, you're doing well.
1: I know I'm really pleased. And like when I when I speak to parents, my own kid has Asperger's as well. And their journey hasn't been quite as straightforward as mine, as you can really say it might be straightforward, but they've had a lot more turbulent um of an experience with education and social environments and things like that. And when I speak to parents when their their kids are newly diagnosed, usually they're usually about younger now, um five, six is when kids are getting diagnosed. And parents think it's the end of the world. And I, I try and say to them, look, it's it's not. You just need to find the thing that your child's going to excel at and something that they're interested in that's going to capture their passion and and nourish that.
0: I thought it would have been um, easier now because we have like pure clued up and everybody's like, we're able to get tested dead fast. I thought it would have been easier now and harder for you. I thought that would have been...
1: Well, it's, it's strange because way back when, when I was being diagnosed, it wasn't it wasn't something you shouted about, it was all very much buried and they didn't. My mum and my, my grandparents who raised me, they were like, right, let's not have this in the medical record because we don't want to affect it and affect it anything further down the line in life, um, about opportunities and things. Whereas now it's a lot more openly discussed and accepted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's, there's pros and cons to that because there is still a stigma around Asperger's autism, different things like that there's there's boxes that people tend to be put in and it's such a shame because yeah. everybody's different everybody's a label and
0: that's just what it is and that's what happens and, to, yeah, and, no, definitely. What that? mm-hmm. and that's you like you've got that wee label on you know so it still is like that I would say yeah no definitely
1: definitely
0: I would have thought that it would have been more of a struggle for you but it's, you've done kind of you've found your thing and just went for it like obviously businesses. You're a bit like you're entrepreneurial and you're into your business side of things. That's and all. Really
1: because I'm totally unemployable. I
0: obviously. <laughs> now, now talking to you, I can see this now. <laughs> Don't contact me for PT either. But <laughs> well, I'm not taking that one. <laughs> I was watching your video and it was going through all your different treatments. I mean, the hospital you've got through in Livingston, that's the kind of one I was watching. That nice. looks great. I mean, that looks for, I mean, a hospital because it yeah. kind of make me
1: feel anxious, but... It's a good hospital. It's massive, isn't it? Yeah, we designed that. Well, I designed it. Gabriela works with me. Um, I hired Gabriela from a, a big national company back in 2018, I think. Um, And we really wanted to design a building and a pathway and a throughput where the patient is at the heart of it and have a, an environment and a whole design concept that puts the patient at ease from the minute they go in the door.
0: Yes, because I've seen that you've got a wee zen room and all that. Yeah, I thought yeah, that was, was a cool wee rooms. touch. Yeah, no, like a big a of some of that in because it's a big kind of deal. What's it your is. most, what's your um, busiest kind of procedure? What is it that people are getting done the most of? Because they are not the big fake boobs, but obviously I've just obsessed. I'm
1: well, so not... they, we've, we've got lots of different things that go are going on and we, we, you kind of really categorise them. We do a lot of top surgery, we do a lot of trans top surgery. Um, <laughs> Is that getting more popular now? Um, you know it's interesting because usually when you talk about transgender and you, you talk about top surgery, people automatically think male to female. Mm-hmm. But actually, we see more female to male patients yeah. that are having double mastectomies, um, and people travel the length and breadth of the country to come because Medicare for that. We're we're quite well known for it, um, and we're very supportive of the trans community as well. So I think that makes a big difference to them. So we do we do a decent amount of them every month. Um, the weight loss surgeries are every week. Um, we've got a couple of lists every week for them, whether they're the gastric balloons or the gastric bands or the gastric sleeves. Um, tummy tucks are really popular, um, especially postpartum for people that have yeah. finished having their families or people that have had that had the bariatric surgery and they've lost the weight. And they skin into it. It's like you can yeah. do so much but there's
0: nothing you can really do because people will say to me in the gym like what can I do with this and when I see it, it's like really the elastin's gone and it's really
1: stretched skin I'm like there's nothing. It's, nothing it's surgery and you know I think it's it's really empowering for women to be honest about that because yeah. we've had lots of women in and they've said oh, I've been going to the gym I've been going to the gym the personal trainers tell me just to keep going and there's No way any amount of exercise is, is no, going it's to stop.
0: Not, no, it's not, it's completely stretched. Even when yeah. my clients lose a good chunk of weight, we can tone up, but you've got the excess skin. And I think, do you know, what's if you've lost like five stone, go and get that cut off? Yeah, if it's something it's that's cut-off. bothering you, yes, yeah, 100%. Look
1: at options, aye, yes, um, there's um,
0: nothing you can do with that, and they're not apart from surgery, no. um, breast productions see to getting all that kind of skin tightened and stuff, once you've lost a lot of weight, is that a big surgery to go through or is it...
1: So skin tightening, the non-surgical options for skin tightening, I'm going to go and see if they worked, we'd have them. Aye, but I, they, don't- they, don't, they don't work. A scalpel surgical skin removal works. Yes. But these bits, so the bingo wings, is, ah. is usually something that, that women will experience. And I would say, unless you've got substantial bingo wings leave it alone yes. because you're probably focusing on it more than what anybody else yeah. is. Um, and unless it is something where you can you can grab it and it's really getting in the way, I would leave it alone because it is one of those surgeries that's quite a long healing process. You're, you're minimum two weeks, but I'd be saying you'd be coming for dressing changes for probably up to four weeks just because of where it is and where the scar goes. Anywhere that's mobile, and you're going to be stretching. Again, the same with eye lifts. It takes a long time for that to heal because you're standing up, you're sitting down, you're walking and it's, it's vertical scars um, as opposed to horizontal ones. And vertical scars tend to take a wee bit longer to heal. They disappear yeah. so you can't see them. You
0: can't see somebody's yeah.
1: denial lift, no? That's right. No, you can't. I, I put my bleph's as well. <laughs> yeah, for sake, man.
0: You can sell it when you're out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My surgeons put me on rations. They said I'm only allowed one surgery a year because I've not done in a good couple of years.
0: <laughs> I, you're too busy for the recovery. I'm too busy.
1: Can I can't get, a, can I get a space in the bed. <laughs> good.
0: So what about the breast reduction? I've had a few clients that have had that, right? Some it's worked well, some not so much. So just what's your view on the breast reduction?
1: Breast reductions, we tend to see ladies that are, that are their class is gigantic, master. So when you're taking away more than a kilo, on on their breasts, and that's life-changing surgery for for these women. It's not only just an aesthetic outcome that they're getting, the health benefits that they're getting, the the discomfort from their back and their neck and Mm -hmm. their shoulders, Um, and obviously the the freedom that they get to wear the clothes that they're wanting to wear and to be more comfortable in in themselves, and lots of different types of settings, not just in the bedroom, but when they're at the gym and when when they're at the swimming with their kids it's it's a really rewarding surgery and I think if if you're in that category it's, it's definitely something you should consider.
0: Implants out mm-hmm. and fixing that do you just do a lot of that?
1: Yep there's a, a trend more and more like similar to, to what you were talking about with way back in the day the trend used to be these big boobs. 2009
0: um, Katie Price big giant uh-huh. massive shiny boobs wasn't it?
1: Yep and I think That demographic, we've all aged and we're probably now in our late 30s, early 40s and you want something a bit smaller, a bit more discreet, something more in line with your your frame. So it is really common for people to be getting implants out and a lot of people don't get other implants put back in. They have them taken out and, and their own breast uplifted.
0: But are you left with like empty bags where the implants once were? Because somebody told me if you get your implants out, you need to go bigger. Because obviously, I've kept pending down with my missus because she's coming up to the she needs it at some point.
1: You don't necessarily need to go bigger. So, what you what is most common is if you've got large implants and you get them taken out, some people get an uplift with a smaller implant put in there or an uplift with no implant, and then that reduces the need for further surgery further down the road because implants don't last a lifetime. Yeah. um the the myth of 10 years isn't accurate that they can last a lot longer than 10 years but at some point you might want them out so it's, it's factoring that into your decision making as well
0: I kind of because I'm in this sort of holistic kind of health space falling in and out of things like the breast implant illness I tend mm-hmm. I haven't really dug into it because like I said my missus has got it I don't know if I really want to kind of go there and know about it
1: but no, is I don't it that's a thing uh, there's, there's, yeah, like. there's, there's evidence for it and I think it really depends on the patient and you know it's it's one of these things it's like fibromyalgia and different things like that and other immuno um, compromised issues if the patient is feeling that they're getting symptoms that might be caused by those breast implants if getting them out is going to alleviate those symptoms and make that person feel better, then that's the right decision for that person because ultimately everybody wants to feel well in themselves.
0: Yeah. And because you see lots of stories, like the person's kind of standing there, looks shattered and all that, and then they get the breast implants out and they look revived. And I mean, it makes sense if there's something in your body that's kind of your immune system's like, what's that? But I was just wondering if you've came across somebody that's had it done and then felt, I feel amazing after getting them out.
1: Yeah, we have. We've had, we've had women come in and believe that they have breast implant illness and had the implants taken out with a on-block capsulectomy. So our on-block capsulectomy is where they take out the, the capsule that's surrounding that breast implant, but they've wanted another breast implant put in okay. and they felt a lot better after that. Then there's been other women who just want them out completely and they've felt better after that as well. But in I the say- same in oh. the same vein, there has also been women who have had them taken out, and it hasn't alleviated their symptoms, and it has been something completely different altogether. But your diet, you a McDonald's yeah, it's, well, it's, usually when they've got to that point and they're wanting the breast implant out because they think it's something to do with breast implant illness, they've they've been and they've been tested for everything, and they've tried dietary changes and and different things like that. That's um, the last kind of thing you try. and, and- and actually, in, in those circumstances, that's when we're most sad because we would hope that taking them out is going to make that person better. Taking the
0: breast implants out and getting an uplift, can it leave you with permanent kind of nerve pain, nerve damage? Have you ever heard of that?
1: It's it's not so much nerve damage, but I think one of the things that the surgeons counsel on for, for any type of breast surgery, but most commonly for anything that's going to affect nipple position, is that you are compromising the blood flow to the nipple and you are moving things into different directions, usually up, um, and it can compromise sensation in the breast. Sometimes it can be more heightened, other times it can be dulled down. Um, I don't know what's worse. Some people like having more sensitivity in that area and some people, they don't like it. It's like you could scrape them off the ceiling. It's just your personal kind of preference yeah. into that. You can't really choose, can you? It's just one of those ones. Yeah. It's- most of the time people people are fine but again you need you need to counsel on the the probability or the possibility of either or
0: so you kind of seem like you're a health kind of based thing as well because obviously when we got in touch it was like female health and you were quite interested in the stuff that I was doing and you said that that kind of tie in a lot with what you guys
1: do so what kind of other things do you do then we do women's health MOTs, um, so full health checks, uh, we do things like that. One of the things that I'm most proud of um, is our Don't Fear the Smear campaigns. So we have got a specialist menopause um, ANP, so it's an advanced nurse practitioner, um, and that's what she specializes in. And we've also got private GPs that, that focus on women's health and dermatology and things like that. And I remember when I worked at Sandyford, I worked tirelessly on these campaigns to try and get women to come for smears, but no matter what we were doing, we, we couldn't get a certain demographic to overcome the, the embarrassment and the anxiety that was associated with coming for a smear test. Now, you probably know about the HPV vaccines that were rolled out um, a good couple of years ago. So when they were rolled out, as they became more common within the population, the processes changed for when you go for a smear. So yeah. if you go to the NHS just now, you would still go through the normal smear processes. So you would you would go in, and you would do the whole legs a kimbo thing, with all the embarrassment, and then leave and wait for that result to come through. But unbeknownst to a lot of the patients, when those tests are sent off to the lab, they now only test initially for HPV, and if the HPV is not present in that sample, they don't test further on that. Um, Because that's an indicator. So that's that's the main indicator for that. So what we do is patients come to us, they've got two options. You can do a self-administered HPV test, which means that you don't have to have somebody down there with a more invasive approach. You can do it yourself and then we would send it away for you and it would be tested for HPV likely on the other hand more women are actually wanting the full test for it to be sent away and everything to be tested and that's something that we can offer as well that's a brilliant thing I didn't know that you said that too we also offer smears under sedation and the reason that came about was for the highly anxious patients people who had suffered possibly sexual abuse or the trans community so if you have a trans man that process of going for a smear can be very distressing yeah um so so we are able to offer that under sedation as well that's actually good what's the so you're saying
0: about your menopause stuff what kind of things do you do there then i use do you give out hrt or anything like that
1: we give out hrt but most importantly is having the bloods tested and proper evaluation of the bloods at regular periods so that 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 um menopause nurse can advise on What's the best thing to be doing because HRT is a fantastic tool, but it's a tool and a toolbox of lots of other options. Of um, I feel like I
0: women know. just think it's only that you just you stop having a period and then you go on HRT, but it's without any tests or nothing's been done. Uh, it's just like
1: done. the go to thing that like everybody, everybody, it gets it. It
0: um, and the, I'm the training past- and I'll like, ah, your
1: patches on the floor. Your estrogen patches <laughs> fell off you. Do you know what I mean? So, I know, so- and um oestrogen and testosterone is, is a fine-tuned balance and with input of an endocrinologist that really can be managed um, to get the best possible outcome from it for a for a better lifestyle. Yeah, but I think a lot of women leave it quite late before yeah. going to the GP. Um, we see women from the age of 35 upwards and they're perimenopausal. Well,
0: it's, that's the average age actually as you start. It's 35 years old, you kind of hit perimenopause, but I mean, I would like to think that I've supported my health enough that I would be all right, and this is a natural process. But you don't actually know until you're sort of in the mix at all. That no, I, I mean, know. if it's ruining my life, then I'll definitely go down that route. Testosterone's hard to get off the GP because it's it like it goes red. You know how if they type something into the computer, it goes red. So that kind of I think puts GPs off. But you kind of need all of these major like female steroid hormones to sort of run alongside each other do you know what I mean whereas I don't think many people know that and I think you really need to go to somebody really specialist like what you somebody guys
1: and that, that and you know um, a lot of the NHS GPs are fantastic if you get one that has got a special interest in menopause that's fantastic but your average GP appointment now is seven minutes I know so the GPs get seven minutes to get you in listen to your concerns try and diagnose it try and give you advice and try and prescribe something for you so they're they trying to work with one hand tied behind their back, and it's it's not great for those GPs, and it, it's not great for the patient either. No,
0: do you just get a lot of menopausal women now because it's a huge thing? It's a huge topic. It's like
1: we always have, and I think what what really encouraged us to to launch the menopause services, like you say, we were getting a lot of people coming along for surgery because they were feeling deflated and they couldn't shift the weight and the different things that were affecting them. That was part of perimenopause and part of the the menopause. Process, and it was really just about regulating those hormone levels, and and it gave them a real boost, and then they didn't actually need surgery after that. Um, so that was that was something that we were really encouraged by.
0: Yeah, that's good. Do you have guys at clients and stuff like that, or is it all? No, we do. Um, so we do. For men like you treatment and all that as well because i never talk about it but i actually have quite a lot of guy clients and they always feel a bit left out because i'm talking about like vulvas and all that well, but-
1: we, do, we do men's health um we do um we've got urologists on board that do deal with a lot of male issues um we do the sperm retrieval with gcrm um so that's for for men that are have different genes that need to be extracted from the sperm before they go through the, the ivf process with yeah. their partners um we do hair transplants, uh, we do a lot of male panoplasties which is pinning ears back and um, which is nose jobs, yeah. blepharoplasties yeah, and is a well. really common procedure for men as well and male breast reduction. So you actually
0: get a lot of guys, do you get a lot of guys now doing this kind of thing? Like We've always no had them
1: and they tend or... to come off the back of their partners so it's the partner has been in and they've seen us and have recommended us to their dad yeah. the brother the partner and it's
0: word of mouth that way get the boobs off and all that I'm gonna
1: love you and leave you then I won't keep you any longer it been really nice speaking to you thanks very much for having me on and um it might probably be worthwhile getting a chat with jo at some point she's a menopause specialist and she'd be able to do yeah. more of the in detail stuff about the yeah. menopause clinic so, uh-huh I'll come welcome.
0: in and see the wee clinic
1: I would come in and
0: speak nice. to you in person because I mean it looks good, and you're part of the Glasgow Girls Club as well.
1: The yes, lovely Laura. So we've got some events coming up. and um, we're teamed up with the Blycewood um to do some monthly events in there. They're starting February March time, so I'll definitely invite you along to one of them. What are you doing what events for what? What's, what's So happening? I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a cinema night um once yes. a month in there. So we're we've taken over their um their private cinema room. Yes. Um, and it's going to be like a kind of chick flick night to just come along and celebrate all things female.
0: Oh, that's nice. That's oh, good. Okay. Right, lift your top up. Let me see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's inevitably going to happen, but it's not. It's not. I'll never let <laughs> you go then.
0: Thank you so, so much. Welcome.